0: You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design, practice, and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, we're joined by Christy Tillman and Sabrina Majeed to discuss what it means to be senior in any field. And why
1: experience is definitely the most important thing, no matter what.
0: Matt, you're an extremely immature designer.
1: Oh, thank you. Wait a minute. That's an insult. <laughs>
0: we're all here thanks everybody for joining us
2: hi
0: we made it happen
2: thanks for having us
0: so uh, we are joined once again by christy tillman uh how you doing christy
2: i'm
3: good
0: i know we got we got got slotted right in after your last meeting of the day so you're still still hyped from that i imagine
3: Nope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) good you you you're able to calm down more than i am after work which is good
3: today was actually a pretty breezy day at work so
0: oh i'm so jealous breezy sounds good it's also really hot here and uh, we have a new contributor on this episode. Uh, I'm gonna—I didn't ask you how to pronounce your name, but I believe it's just Sabrina Majid, right?
2: Yeah, perfect.
0: Okay, great, thank <laughs> yeah. God. So you're joining us on this episode too. Thank you for uh, hopping on.
2: Yeah, thanks for inviting me.
0: Of course. So we uh, should just jump right into the topic. I think uh, we're kind of inspired by this article that Sabrina you sent along ahead of time, uh, which is titled "On Being a Senior Engineer," and it's from the Kitchen Soap blog, uh, and it's written as. Best I can gather by a higher up engineer at Etsy, which seems yeah to be the case.
2: Ex CTO. There that's you go. Ex CTO of CEO. Etsy. Yeah. That's um, pre- pretty high up. Yeah, it's pretty high up, I <laughs> would say. <laughs>
1: I'd say that's pretty senior.
0: Yeah. And it's it's basically an entire, uh, it's kind of a little like greatest hits of other writing about being a senior engineer or being, you know, senior really any position. And, uh, you know, I, I think you sent it along with the context, Sabrina, that it really applies to uh, all kinds of different. Uh, different industries, not just engineering, which I think is definitely true. Um, why don't you start us off? I'm just curious to know how we're going to be like defining the word "senior" for this conversation, because I know it can mean a lot of different things. So, Sabrina, when you say like senior designer, senior engineer, what does that word mean to you?
2: Yeah, well, I, I guess like this isn't really a definition, but I was thinking a lot about this and having read the article, and I think I think it's very different for different companies, which is why it's so hard to define. Um, so it means something I think really specific at Buzzfeed and when I was at Buzzfeed, I helped define that, but I, I don't think that that necessarily translates across like the industry, but I guess I could say for us, one of the, they're like, I can go into specifics, but I think the, the major thing was, it was actually a lot about like leadership and communication, like almost more so than execution, um, in certain points, um, at least for product design. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and to echo that point, I mean, we we actually use the term senior at my very small company. Uh, and we only have two two tiers, uh, like two salary levels and two, like, tiers of employees. And it's just senior and not senior. And the only distinction for us is basically that, like, a senior level person at our company just means that you can work without oversight, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we hope everybody is still learning. Like, I don't want to ever say that people are going to stagnate and stop learning new things and stop getting better at their job. But at a certain point, uh, the hope is that you are also able to, you know, bill hours and in the consulting world or, you know, get things done uh, on a a reasonable timeline uh, while you're doing that learning as well. Um, So I'm I'm familiar with the ideas uh, in bigger organizations, obviously, but it definitely just at our small company has a a different meaning. It's very simple.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really succinct way of putting it. Um, And if I, yeah, if I had to like say it in one word, I think lack of oversight is a good way to put it.
3: That's really interesting to me. So, um, I'm I'm just like soaking in this conversation. So, Sabrina, thanks for bringing this article. I read it, and I've actually passed it on to a couple people right now. You know, like my team is super new at Slack, so I've been at Slack for like ten months. Um, and I'm building a team, so I'm really in the like throes of thinking about what this means as I start to hire people and start to build out career paths or my team. As the team starts to scale, so it's like this is top of mind. So. Thank you for bringing this topic up. Andy, it sounds like just uh, two tiers really enough.
0: When your company has eight people, it is. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> That's true. I guess that goes back to the <laughs> point about company size and uh, yeah. like different companies.
0: I think, I think at some point it would make sense certainly to have uh, a little more hierarchy, right? Uh, I, I, mean, I guess you could even say we have kind of three tiers because we do sometimes have like an intern position, which is a current student that works part time. So it is kind of a third tier, uh, even at a really tiny company. But I, I definitely don't think that's sufficient to scale. Uh, it just works for our tiny little tiny little operation
1: i can i can hop in and add one other thing is like i have a very similar structure to andy but i think we define it a little bit differently but we still only really have two tiers and it's just people who mentor and people who are being mentored uh kind of but like when it's only like five to ten people like that range it's hard to break in any more tiers because like who who mentors the person under the other mentor you know what i mean it's like there's, it's it's hard to make it any more many um, more shapes than just two levels,
3: yeah, so one of the really things that stuck out to me about this article that I really loved and it was able to articulate something that um I've always felt, but just really hadn't been able to put words to it um I think it was in here about the ability to anticipate needs and also the ability to understand how other people view you um and I would yeah. definitely Ooh. categorize those two things as being senior. And to me, um, just from managing and hiring designers, there's like, can't work without oversight, can't work without oversight. And then this next tier, where you have the ability to anticipate needs, uh, understand how people view you politically around the organization. And I would like even throw in strate- the ability to think more strategically, long-term, wider. Uh, I think in, I think the article also talked about um, not viewing a problem and a solution as two different things. So to me, there's like this next tier thinking uh, that starts to put you into the senior kind of leadership category. Uh, And to me, that's a much different thing than being able to work without oversight.
0: Sure. Absolutely. Um, So are we equating like, senior engineer senior designer with a leadership position or are is there room in some organizations for somebody that is considered a senior in their role but is maybe isn't into leadership they're they they do not want to manage people they just want to do their job is that something there's room for
3: well i just want to clarify because from my end i, I didn't mean leadership as in managing people so i meant okay, leadership is okay. that displaying like craft leadership or technical leadership Basically, leading through influence and not necessarily the idea of managing people,
0: right, that makes sense okay
2: yeah i I would second that and agree with that because I know I mentioned leadership before too, and I think of it the same way it's not necessarily people management, but there's still like an area of like skill set leadership
0: and does that differ from just proficiency if I can do my job really well uh, does that account for some sort of skill set leadership, or is there a different thing there? Is it come back to the strategic thinking that Christy mentioned and the kind of you know, thinking more outside the box.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that a leader who doesn't like doesn't have to be a manager, I think like a senior designer is still kind of responsible for mentorship and maybe like setting best practices for a team. So it's not just about what the person does individually, but how they're helping the broader team with their expertise. So I think, yeah, like it's not enough to just be proficient yourself if you're not kind of expanding and like helping to shape the process for the team.
0: Yeah, I found in my career, my short career, that uh, I feel like a lot of the things, I mean, this, we should say if we haven't said explicitly, this article talks about senior engineering and doesn't really mention any engineering things in my mind. It mentions like pretty generic things that apply to any industry because, as they kind of point out early in the article, the mark of a senior engineer is not somebody that is really good at, you know, writing a particular algorithm or, you know, doing a big, long, regular expression it's uh somebody that exhibits all these kind of uh more abstract qualities that are not directly tied to the thing you're making. Um and but I found that as I have gotten I think better proficiency wise at my like practical job, uh, that has what has brought me the exposure to the bigger thinking that Chrissy brought up, right? Like as I become a better designer and think about you know designing, you know, products and and thinking more critically about them, that by definition comes with an understanding of like oh and we're in a larger organization and this organization has these kinds of priorities and there's a you know a business side of things and we have to kind of satisfy that and we have to advocate for the users and we have to all all these sort of complex constellation of variables and and uh, and different motivations that you have to kind of balance I think just comes naturally to most people when you spend a lot of time doing your craft um, so I, I can't really picture somebody it's like a senior designer that is really good at designing but doesn't think about those things because i'm not sure you can be good at designing without thinking about those things
3: yeah i say that on a spectrum um it's been my experience too that some some of that stuff does not come naturally to people so you almost have to point it out to them around when they're mid-level so to me like a mid-level person is someone who's really good at their craft but they haven't started to develop this type of stuff that we're talking about so mm-hmm. like they can, they have the polish, right? They have the proficiency of like being able to make things mm-hmm. and they have not started to think about this kind of stuff yet. So in my experience mentoring, some of this comes naturally to people. Sometimes you have to throw them as, um, as someone who's responsible for people's career path and growth and um, throw them into situations where they can get this stuff. Also, I mean, part of being a mentor and leader on a team is also pointing that this is the stuff that they need to learn and coaching them around that. Um, so um, I think you can be good at making things and be proficient at your job. Um, I just see it on a spectrum. So this is like the next, this is like the end of that spectrum. So to me, that's what I would consider a mid-level designer in my head. Um, mm-hmm. That's kind of how I would level people. They are really good at their craft. They just haven't started to learn this stuff yet, or they're at the very beginning of it.
0: I'm interested in the like, Nature versus nurture thing, you kind of brought up the idea that a lot of the things again that this article mentions and I think are, we are all kind of recognize are true of people that are senior in their position, really come down to like empathy, people' skills, uh like being able to see the bigger picture as we mentioned, and those are some things that I think do just come naturally to some people more than they come to others uh, and I'm curious to know how you all feel about just uh, how much is seniority tied to time you spent doing your job uh like like are those things correlated are they completely separate are they very direct if you've been there for 10 years are you pretty much guaranteed to be senior at that point like like how are those things related
1: and also is it like as opposed to just living your life if you never did your job (coughs) and you just hopped into it like i feel like part of it is just uh just getting older and being more of a human being right as opposed to being a 22 year old who doesn't have who doesn't have work experience or life
3: experience um i can speak to that um So I've hired people who have uh, freelanced um, or they've worked in jobs at one place for a really long time and they have been there for a very long time and they had none of these skills. Um, So actively mentoring them and opening their eyes to this broader skill set was like a kind of a mystical thing for them. Uh, So I've actually seen and witnessed designers who have been designers for a really long time and because of where they were or the the position at their company, they've never been exposed to that type of thinking. Um, and it took lots of mentoring to get them there, but they eventually got there. So I've had experience with people. It's just It was just not a function of um, how many years. So I've definitely have hired people who have more years of experience than me, uh, but they have not had, you know, they don't have the same level of depth or breadth of thinking in terms of design thinking.
1: When you say the, as opposed to freelancers, because freelancers have had so much contact with varying clients, varying people, like had to deal with a lot of different stakes.
3: Well, the, well, in my experience, I don't want to, I'm not saying our freelancers, but these particular people that I've worked with, um, they, they can, they can choose, pick and choose the projects that they want to do. Um, so that either you can push yourself in that dichotomy or you can do the same thing over and over and over and over again which means you don't really get growth. So if you're like Mm -hmm. a really great illustrator and all you want to do is make really sick icons, like you can (laughs) do that for 10 years, right? And and that might mean that you never have to solve certain types of problems or get exposed to um, very complex projects uh, that push your thinking. So it's really not just a function of like working or a function of of, of time. Because I've seen plenty of people who have lots of design years who can't do this. And I've seen people who've been designers less than 10 years and who can. so?
0: Does that ring true for you, Sabrina?
3: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: Um, Yeah, I was going to say, like, it kind of, I guess it kind of goes back to my point about I think senior is really different depending on the company because I've also interviewed designers who have way more experience than me, like, in years, and they even have, like, really impressive, very senior titles. But then when we interview them, they're not quite matching, like, our definition of senior Um, because I think maybe the company they were at, it was more of a year's thing versus like the the leadership or like the specific skills. Um, So yeah, it doesn't, I don't think yours is like a guarantee.
0: I, I agree completely. And I feel like it's actually kind of a controversial stance to some people. Like there's a lot of people that definitely have the like kind of respect your elders experience is the greatest indicator of proficiency or experience is the greatest indicator of skill, uh, you know, I've I've criticized things on Twitter or whatever, and had somebody come back and be like, "Well, they've been a designer for twelve years more than you've been alive," and it's like, yeah. "Well, yeah, but if, are we playing this game? Because like <coughs> Bill O'Reilly's been like commenting on politics since before I was alive, but I still think that guy's totally wrong. So like, I don't, <laughs> I, don't I don't know how much we can really put any any credence to that. And so I, I think that it is really important. You know, I think Christy mentioned somebody drawing icons for their you know for twelve years and then. Thinking that makes them a senior designer, I, I I think it really comes down to like the kind of work you're doing and how you're working. And one of the most important things uh, for me personally in my career is feeling like uh, I've, I've not stagnated, right? Like those are the moments I've tried to like break out of some pattern. Of how you're like I'm doing the same thing over and over again, am I really learning anything new? Uh, and trying to kind of break out of those things because I definitely feel like a career spent. You can you can spend a career and not advance your skill set or thinking uh, if you're not careful. And honestly in most situations i don't think it's like the individual person's fault i think that they end up in a system that yeah. doesn't doesn't encourage growth in that way and then just kind of fall into the fall into the system and it kind of eats them up uh but that does happen for sure
2: yeah i i have a question for you guys which is um how much do you think titles manage externally like outside of the company you work at
1: i i feel like titles are such a company specific thing. Like I, I never have any idea what to make of them from company to company. Like it makes sense within the walls of how you define it. And you can refer to your coworkers that way. And it makes sense. But like, I don't, I don't know if I'm reading a resume, it doesn't, I feel like I'm looking more at like what the jobs were and how they describe their work. And like, if you're in an interview setting, like asking questions and it seems so subjective. People define it so many different ways.
0: Yeah. I find that they're very fraught. Um, We, for a long time, didn't have any like public facing titles we didn't have titles really period again it's a very small company we didn't we all kind of did different things we knew what each other did and it didn't really come up at all eventually you know we started to realize that like certain clients just really didn't have any idea what each of us did even after talking to us for you know months so we kind of decided that we Mm. do have to have titles for the purposes of just on this call this is my responsibility and this is this other person's responsibility um which is you know a very fundamental thing we had to learn the hard way because we're a bunch of idiots but uh (laughs) but yeah you know i I think that we avoided them because it didn't really have any meaning to us internally and we knew that externally saying you're the art director or design director or whatever like what does that really mean though at the end of the day
2: yeah that's that's interesting that just reminded me that um I've, i've seen companies where like their sales team have external titles that are often inflated Relative to their internal title, just in order to like get people to respond to their emails and their so cold, their cold emails, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh. everyone's a VP of something.
3: <laughs> here's
0: the here's the thing that happens that so we have an office in Baltimore, uh, and it's on like the third floor of a building, and there's no sign on the front door, so you'd know you were coming into our office. You have to like go in a door and go up some stairs, and there's another door at the top of the stairs that you can go into, and it's not locked during the day when we're there. And the thing that happens to us pretty regularly, which boggles my mind is that we'll be sitting in our office just doing our work on our little computers typing away like a bunch of nerds and then somebody will just walk in our office they have come in the front door they have walked up the stairs they are now walking in our door and they start handing out a business card trying to like sell fax machines or something like there's (laughs) still door-to-door salesmen working in baltimore (laughs) they just come in and like like who gives you your paper and i'm like we don't use paper (laughs) like i I don't know what to tell you uh that's i always feel bad for the people that are forced to like cold cold contact people so i get the inflated titles there they're just trying to get any little percentage edge they can yeah there were a couple other things that stood out to me about this particular article um one thing that really jumped out at me was a little section where the author uh points out that good engineers and again i think you can insert non-engineers in there uh good people senior senior people in any profession (laughs) um don't shy away from making estimates Uh, which is a very interesting thing that, uh, you know, again, I think we ended up kind of learning the hard way when we first started uh, our company six years ago. uh, We made estimates for things kind of flippantly. We're like, yeah, sure, that'll take about this amount of time. We very quickly realized that we were always wrong. Estimates are very difficult to make. And so for many years, we basically took took the tact of like explaining to most of our potential clients and partners like, hey, we'll do our best, but, you know, we really can't estimate these things. It's super difficult. Uh, and now we've kind of swung back uh, in the past couple of years and realized that, like, well, you know, that's kind of our whole job is to to do this thing and, and make the estimate. And I think a uh, person made the good point that your job as the engineer specifically is to absorb a lot of the risk in the engineering of the product. And the same would go for design, same would go for any other kind of management. Um, but that's something that definitely rung true. You know, we spent we spent so much time and so many years trying to avoid making estimates for anything. And uh, and now we kind of just embrace it and are like, yep, that's necessary. We have to do that. So. That was an interesting m- moment of the uh, the article for me.
3: Yeah, that stuck out to me too. As someone who is constantly making estimates all the time, I feel like because I work so closely with our marketing team um, and we always are needing to get things out of the door. Um, and as we start to kind of really understand the capacity of our team and how much stuff we can kind of get through, um, I'm all I'm all the time making estimates or prom- making promises that we can get X thing done by Y um, and, and trying to make sure I can... Motivate and move the right obstacles out of the way for the team to get those things done, so yeah, that one stood, stood out to me too. I was like, oh, okay, so I should really should be i'm really, I really should be making these estimates. I'm not the only person that's like really like fumbling with that, but um yeah, that stood out to me too
1: actually, that stood out to me specifically because uh I thought that translated a little bit less to design, just in the sense that like I think it's a lot easier to estimate a design thing than it is to estimate an engineering thing for the simple reason that like I I don't think you can like brute force an engineering problem and be done with it as quickly as if like you have a deadline and you're like oh I need a logo uh here it is it's done like if you had to get a design problem done you could even if you did a bad job whereas like you kind I don't know if you can do the same thing on the engineering side so it's kind of like I've, I've had to do that recently too of like getting better about estimating but I've had a harder time kind of getting the trying to figure out the engineering side of it more than the the design side of it because like i don't know you can always get a design thing done if you really need to it's more about like getting the estimate right to make it really really good and efficient
0: you're really just saying it's easier to do a really bad job designing something uh i mean if you try to do that engineering you just didn't do it period like yeah right
1: you could you could do a bad job if you just didn't do it engineering wise it just didn't work right yeah exactly it's it's a lot more
0: measurable uh, but I, I, we, I've had that conversation plenty of times in our work, too, because, you know, like I said, if you needed a logo in 30 minutes, I could do something. We could put it on a business card and it would do the job of a logo, right? It would be recognizable and repeatable and have your name or colors on it or whatever. But obviously it would have, be bad, It'd be a terrible, yeah. terrible example of that. Well, I mean, uh, in the
3: context of like not, I guess, taking this out of the context of being senior into the context, context of like design leadership. I mean, we give estimates about things, or have to make estimates about things all the time that don't relate to design. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a conversation last week with finance about anticipating how much how much work um, are we going to get from marketing, how much work are we going to get for the other part of the organization, and how that translates to headcount. Um, and that's a really hard thing to estimate. But when I make, you yeah. know, when we're forecasting, and I'm saying, okay, I think we can get work done with this many more people and i know that i'm probably even not going to get what i requested it's probably going to be less than that mm-hmm. um <laughs> and we still have to get the work done so i mean in the context of running a design team or a design shop it's not just on the projects that you have to like put a line in the sand you do it for budgets you do it for headcount um you do it for a whole host of other things so and the skill set it's not just about a logo
1: yeah, and I, I find that, yeah, it, yeah, it translates to it's not just a logo or it's not just an engineering problem. It's always like the challenge is always like multidisciplinary. And you also have to do the same thing if you're running a business, is you have to like, it's not wildly different than like forecasting your budget or whatever, whatever business thing you have to do. Like it's essentially the same skill. It's just like getting good, it's not getting good at predicting the future. It's just like knowing, knowing these kind of repeatable things and, and how, uh, trying to make them predictable.
2: Yeah. To me, like, I think, It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't so much about, like, being right or being, like, really accurate about it. It was more being comfortable with being wrong with your estimates, but being willing to, like, put something out there. Like, I think a lot of the designers um, that I had managed in the past, like, would, I think, like, there's a lot of hesitation to, like, throw out a number or to commit to something because they're afraid of being wrong. But it's, like by being accountable for that it's the only way that you're gonna learn because you'll actually go back and look at it if you're wrong be like okay like this is how long it actually took so next time i know for the future um so i thought it was like his point was kind of about like being okay with being wrong
0: yeah no i, I hear that for sure um I, and also to kind of come back to what christy said she mentioned that you know she has to estimate estimate things all the time it's a huge part of her job and i think that's you know that's to the author's point, like a huge part of what being a senior person is, because you're one of the only people at the organization that could even possibly make those estimates. And it may feel difficult from where you sit to be like, well, how, how can we know what all these things are going to be? And we feel like we're kind of taking a shot in the dark. But, uh, but truly, you know, someone like you, Chris, you're in a much better position and have a much better experience and knowledge uh, at your fingertips to be able to make a best estimate than anybody else uh, in your and anywhere near you in the, in the organization, which is why it kind of falls to you. Um, so it's kind of like it's a it's an indicator of seniority and also a byproduct of seniority like you end Mm -hmm. up being the only person that has that perspective to understand all the moving pieces and make a best guess and then uh as sabrina said if you're wrong you update it and you aren't too afraid to put yourself out there
1: well the other thing i've learned too is that uh when you don't do it someone else does it for you and they get it really wrong and then you, you're oftentimes <laughs> stuck with that so like so you learn like oh i better do this because i i will do a much better job than someone else will and they'll stick with some deadline that i don't want it doesn't make any sense yeah that's, that's a really true. good
2: point <laughs> yeah oftentimes when when estimating did come up um at buzzfeed on the design team it was because someone else was forcing like a very tight deadline on the product designer like oh you can get this then in a week and then like sort of have to encourage them to go in and push back against that. I feel like this isn't realistic. So yeah, it's definitely important.
0: I'm curious to know, I have a couple of questions related to these things. So I think we're in agreement more or less that experience does not directly correlate to proficiency in the sense that we're describing or seniority in the sense that we're describing it. So I'm wondering, especially for, for you, Christy and Sabrina, who have worked at bigger companies, like what value do you ascribe to experience if we're in agreement that you know you could work somewhere for 12 years and maybe not grow or learn much uh just by nature of where you happen to work and the context you were in um what if any value do you ascribe to that experience
2: i guess like for me i think it's like when i think of experience like sometimes for some reason i always think to like the data versus intuition debate that is also like in the or used to be in the design industry like a few years ago and i always felt like Experience is just like providing you more data points that actually inform your intuition. So things kind of um, might seem more obvious because you're like pattern matching with experience. So I guess like that's that's the value that I see in it.
3: She stole my answer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess practically, you know, if you have someone sitting in front of you and they have a resume, that says 16 years of you know, product design experience or whatever. That, that wasn't even a term 16 years ago. But uh, if, if they've got 16 years of experience uh, and somebody next to them has two years of experience, do you essentially ignore those numbers? Is that not a factor at all in your evaluation of how this person will fit on your team? So uh, or does that weigh I, in even a little bit?
3: I actually very much ignored those numbers. So I have learned that there are a group of people who will put like X number of years of experience on their resume or their LinkedIn, and to me that is a huge red flag. Um, and I have not been wrong yet. <laughs> uh, Wait, what he,
1: what's the red flag?
3: The red flag is they count the years. Notes expertise. And I, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, and every portfolio I've seen with someone who says on the top of their resume, 20 years of design experience Mm -hmm. or 10 years of design experience. And when I look at Mm. their stuff, it is like not good. Um,
0: well, it's basically one step away from saying, like, I have designed over 120 websites, which I think we all would agree means, okay, great. That means nothing. Like, that's no value.
3: Absolutely. So um, when people flag that as a thing, as a, I, I have never been wrong yet. So that's a red flag to me. But just if, if no one's flagging, I just, like, have two resumes and I can just count the number of years of experience. I really want to get into what they have done. The industry has changed so much. Um, and that person who has two years of experience could have two really strong years of interesting, deep, complex problems um and I really want want to get to the bottom of like what they 've been doing for the last two years um to me, like what i 'm looking at evaluating candidates is really about like the type of experiences they've had that 's not necessarily the quantity um sure is this is this unique
1: to not not only our industry but is it is it well is this unique to our industry because things move so fast and if it were if we were in working some totally different industry where you could just repeat the same process over and over and things would be fine we would uh think experience is much more valuable
0: what are the slow industries, Matt? Can you name one?
3: Maybe something like accounting.
1: I don't know. What if you just make what if you make widgets for twenty <laughs> years? You just make the same widget over and over again for twenty years.
0: Well, I'm I'm uh. kind I'm kind of putting on the spot, but also I really feel like uh this is probably the way most industries are, right? Like uh, you know, just look at something like plumbing. We've had indoor plumbing for a hundred years or whatever, but I know for a fact that every year there's people making new sealants and new products and mm-hmm. new tools and you know, yeah. and that's only accelerated as the whole world is accelerated, so I I don't know that there is an industry where it's like, you know, I, I honestly when I think of like the the grizzled like old wise person that like really knows the ins and outs of something, uh, I, I I never think of like that in a proficiency sense. I always think of that in like a bigger picture human sense, right? Like yeah. you can you can imagine like some great mentor in any industry, uh, and it's never somebody that's gonna be like, well, let me tell you how to work that piece of software, or let me really show you how to fix that pipe or whatever it is you're doing. Uh, it's somebody who understands the greater context, which keeps talking around with the same ideas. But I do feel like that, that experience is, is, the, is the valuable experience, more so than the technical proficiency. Plus, we're all going to be replaced by robots in, like, 12 <laughs> years. So don't bother doing anything a robot can do. Focus on the things robots can't do, like talk to humans.
3: I, I, think, I also think in this industry, because there are so many opportunities um, to do just very vastly different things, um, it, it, it just really, once again, goes back to type. So I was at a women in design event last night, um, and Kate, uh, Aronowitz, who was the VP of design at Worldfront spoke. Um, and when she started her presentation, she said that she'd been leading design teams for 17 years. Um, and I was blown away by that number. Well, she had been designing for 17 years. I think she's been leading teams for like 14 years, but don't quote me on the mm-hmm. numbers. It was, a, it was definitely a double digit number. Um, I was pretty blown away by that fact, but she the the advice she gave us and the, her talk was extremely relevant. Um, she's been on the cutting edge of her career and consistently staying in that position. So to me, that's like 17 years or 14 years of amazing experience. But she's consistently pushing uh, and consistently staying on the cutting edge uh, versus someone who might be like 14 years or 15 years doing the same thing. So once again, it comes down to like what type and her experience would definitely be better than someone who had two years of experience. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. bar none. Right. So, but say a, someone who had two years of experience who'd spent their time at IDEO. And I'm only using that because I'm super familiar, uh, because I worked there before, uh, two years there in really deep, complex problems, getting, uh, totally total experience, uh, with different types of companies, with different ranges of problems, that is two years' experience to me is much better than two years at one company um, for 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 two years most likely because of the types of problems that I know that person would have been exposed to and the sure. amount and the variant. So it just really is a is a bunch of different weighing of variables that there's like really no one answer. Just really comes down to evaluating like the opportunity space that that person's had um, and their ability and willingness to continue to kind of be on the cutting edge of of learning.
0: Yeah, so I kind of think about I I I would say that on the in a situation where we have those two resumes and two numbers in the resumes, uh, aside from the red flag it raises by even putting those numbers in the resumes, as Christy pointed out, um, I don't I wouldn't ignore that. What I think about that as I think about that as like raw material, right? So I feel like different people have their kind of approaches to the world and their values, and the people that I admire most and I feel like are most skilled, kind of just like suck the marrow out of every experience they have, right? If they're going to be on working at some small company doing something, they're going to like learn everything they possibly can there. If they're on some big team somewhere, they're going to soak up everything they can possibly soak up there. And I feel like you can get a sense for what kind of person somebody is by interviewing them and, you know, other ways like that. And then when I see someone like that with, you know, a huge amount of experience, I'm like, okay, this person has been applying this process, which I understand and witness, for this amount of time, which tells me they've learned a lot over that amount of time and probably have a lot to bring to the table more than I could ever surface in an interview by asking them questions about what they've done. Um, and similarly, if you have somebody that's really engaged in what they're doing and really picking up a lot of information that only has a little bit of experience, uh, I think that can it can stand uh, in contrast to somebody maybe has a lot of experience but uh, doesn't approach life like that or doesn't approach their career like that. Um, which is a, is a difference, I think.
2: Yeah, for for me with the two resumes, like I tend to agree with Christy. I think when, at least when people say like X amount of years in design, it to me it's a, really hard to actually evaluate what that means because it could be so different. But I will say I think that there is value in just a human being that has worked for a certain amount of time and like is mm-hmm. used to working with other people and has skills in those areas. I mean, that's usually not what people call out on their resumes. Like... Um, they don't kind of generally call out their years of experience. It's always in a certain industry, but I think there is some value in that and just like maturity um, and stuff like that. Yeah,
3: That's a great point.
0: Yeah, I I do think there are some things that you just like can't learn quickly or are much harder to learn quickly. And a lot of those things do kind of circle around what what we've been describing as senior traits, right? Being able to see the big picture, communicate with a bunch of people, empathize with people that are coming from a very different perspective from you. That seems like something that you can't just like, you know, week two of your career. Someone explains like, hey, you should really put yourself on people's shoes and you go, <laughs> okay, I will. Now I have that skill. Uh, that seems like a thing you really has to be kind of hard earned uh, more so yeah. than other skills.
2: Yeah. Something that stands out to me is when I was earlier on in my career, like everything seemed like a huge deal. And if the design, or the product wasn't executed the way I designed it, it was like the end of the world. But with time and maturity, you realize it's never the end of the world. And like, you realize nothing lot, is a huge deal yeah, like and nothing. we're all just dust. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you're just like a lot more like relaxed and I think can handle that situation better.
0: Yeah. The one last thing I'll say about the like X years of experience and kind of what credence we give just experience as a raw value as opposed to what that kind of experience was is that um, I think there's something to be said for the fact that certain people will. Uh, underrepresent themselves and the things they've learned, uh, either because they don't perceive they've learned as much as they've actually learned or because they, you know, have been taught by society to downplay their achievements and the things they've kind of accomplished. And so for those people, I feel like sometimes that uh, that evidence of a long career uh, can lend some credibility and some uh, uh, less some credibility that maybe the person is not comfortable expressing directly. And And, and the example I'll give for this is that um, you know, the uh, the whole, like, startup world in technology, uh, which I feel like is kind of waning, thank God, uh, in, the, in the past few years. I feel like there are less silly companies getting a million, zillion dollars to do some dumb thing uh, run by, like, a 22-year-old. Um, that's a good example of, like, I have no doubt that there's a lot of, like, 22-year-old co-founders that, you know, are brilliant. Maybe they're really great in their industry. They know a lot about what they're doing, uh, but that kind of make the same kinds of just... Immature mistakes that really anybody with any experience uh, would would not make, uh, and I think oftentimes you think about those people and just if you if you had the the wherewithal to hire somebody maybe ten years older than you or that had been working for a while, there's a lot of things you could have just just because of that experience escaped. So I, I do think there's something that comes from experience, and it, it might be better. Maybe you said it better, Sabrina, when it's just like having worked for that long. And, you know, been in a job and held a job down and, like, worked on a team is just evidence of a certain amount of maturity and teamwork that uh, you really can't fake early on in your career. All right. Other things that came up in this piece for me, and please, and somebody else, steal this, uh, steal it if you want. Um, I was very interested in the idea of CYA consulting, or CYA engineering is what they described in the piece, which was just covering your ass, uh, which resonated for me in a couple of ways, which I was not super pleased about. But basically, it was describing the, blaming others for the problems in a project. And I think the name actually really said a lot to me. Basically, the idea that you and your position are going to like, do all the things you know are correct, such that when things go wrong, you can point to all the evidence of, well, look, I didn't mess anything up. I did my mm-hmm. job. I matched the spec. Uh, I told you this was going to take X amount of time or whatever, uh, which is something that has come up for me, so much in consulting, where it's like, you know what, if you're in consulting, being right just does not really matter if someone doesn't feel like the situation went the way they wanted it to go. And you may have explained 10 times the costs of the servers were going to be X, but they didn't read those emails. And it's still, in some ways, your fault for not communicating that in a way that it was actually understood by somebody. And uh, all of the sort of evidence that you've done the correct thing, and you've communicated things as you're quote-unquote supposed to Um, really is not worth much at the end of the day. Um, And that's a lesson that I'm still learning and it's still hard for me to grasp because uh, I'm a very thorough person and I like to be very careful in my communications and in all the work we do. And so uh, I do cover my ass, right? I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do (laughs) just naturally by like my existing. And it's hard for me to accept sometimes that uh, that is not enough, right? That is not doing a good job. That is just being thorough. Doing a good job is making sure that you've been thorough and you've expressed in whatever way it needs to be expressed to all of your stakeholders, um, the sort of state of things.
1: I feel like this section really set out to me. Cause like the, if I'm ever laying in bed awake at night, worrying about a thing, it's cause I'm worried I didn't cover my ass. Cause there's, I did everything I could think of, but somebody will come back to me and say, Hey, but what about this? And I never could have guessed it. Like I, I would love to cover all situations and never have to worry about a, something like this. But, uh, I, I don't. I don't quite know how to handle this one because I kind of what Annie's saying. Like, I love to be as thorough as possible and try to explain every little detail and like anticipate everything that could happen. Uh, but then sometimes things go wrong, and you have to absorb that too. Like, I want to live in a world where you can just do everything correctly, and then everything's right you, and you don't have to worry. Of course, more. you do.
0: <laughs> can I? Can I just have that reality? That's. I would like better. to live in a world where my rational, thorough approach to the world is rewarded exclusively. <laughs> yes. Um, well, no, I mean, I, what it comes down to for me is it's just it's just understanding that uh, really what it, what, it, what it is, is it's accepting that you are not going to cover everything. Like it's not possible. And what cover your ass really means is all of the things that we agreed could go wrong up front, I took care of. And this other thing happened and I can't be blamed because we didn't agree that might go wrong. Uh, and I, I, really, it really resonated with me that like a, a, mature approach to that is not to go, well, look, look at all the things I've done that have been proven how correct I am. Uh, but instead just to be like, well, yep, yeah, that's another thing that comes up and kind of accept responsibility for it and, uh, recognize that that's a huge part of the job, right? That's whatever job you're doing. That's why your client hired you. It's why your boss hired you because you were going to be responsible for something. And, uh, you know, just making sure that you've checked all the boxes does not equate to, doing a good job and really doesn't equate to being a mature and thorough person.
1: I do like to think that the my internal self is screaming and panicking, going, oh no, wh- why has this come up? But my external self is saying, okay, well, how do we solve this problem? Oh, uh, yeah. And I, I do try to do that where it's like, okay, this thing no one could have ever anticipated has come up, but let's deal with it. Even if internally I'm not stoked about it or I'm panicking, like externally, hopefully I'm saying, how do we deal with this? Let's come up with a reasonable way to solve for it and we'll handle this together.
3: I totally think that's the right approach um I have coached people through difficult situations before and I always tell people they're entitled to their feelings so I don't like to talk people out of how they feel about a situation I always talk to them about how they own their reaction to the situation and those are two separate things so you can choose how you want to react to a situation and I think you're totally right with that Matt like um, but you're entitled to still feel the way you want to about it.
1: Yeah, right? I don't have to be stoked about it, but I can work through the problem. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I could fill up a whole binder with just email threads where Andy was right and no one cared. <laughs> like like that, that it's, is- just sort
1: of, it's like the it's like uh, the difference between a contract and a person, right? Like, but it was in the contract and it said this. And you're
0: like, yeah, well, it didn't work. Yeah, guess what? They didn't read the contract. They never read the contract. They just sign it.
2: <laughs> <sighs> yeah i actually for me the the cya thing i thought it uniquely applied to design maybe in a better way than engineering because designers they um or the way that i see it often manifesting in design is a lot of designers especially the ones who are less experienced they think that they're only responsible for like the mock-up or like the design itself and not necessarily the finished product and so like when the finished product isn't um performing the way people expect it. It's like kind of like, oh, it's because engineering did this. Like I designed it perfectly. It's pixel perfect. Um, and I feel like seniority to me is like taking responsibility for the end result. Um, and even that it's not even like what what shipped. It's like the r- actual result of what shipped that you should yeah. be responsible for, not the mock-up or the design per se.
1: Well, the thing I feel like I, I try to explain to clients is like, well, the design part is like, it's a lot cheaper to like mock it up and draw it first, so we can agree on it. But like that has nothing to do with the final result. That's just like a picture of it. That's just right. like yeah. we're gonna sketch out and show you what it's gonna be, and then later we'll build it. But like no one, no one sees the thing you drew. That was just an expression of your idea, and then the building is the part that matters. So who care? Who cares what your drawing was? Nobody's ever gonna look at that.
2: Right. Exactly.
0: This uh, this ownership you're talking about, Sabrina, is a tension I definitely feel in our work. Um, where sometimes I don't know where the line should be, like where we should stop doing our job uh, because there is a line somewhere, right? Um, I really like it when a client comes to us with a very clear like, set of parameters, right? They're like, I'm assuming this. So we have to work under that assumption because that's the whole tent pole on which this entire thing is built. Uh, and sometimes you know, I, I struggle with what assumptions to question and what ones not to. Because when someone comes to us and is like, hey, I need you to redesign, a website for this nonprofit. And then our response is, you need to hire a copywriter and you need to hire a photographer and you need to <laughs> reconsider completely how you accept donations and explore these other companies here that accept donations differently. And, you know, all these things that are like, they're like, whoa, we wanted like a pretty website. And I'm like, yeah, well, we have opinions about other stuff too. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think that's, I, I like that about uh me and the work we do, that we are comfortable coming back to a client that wants a website and say, well, look, you know, Right now, the way you accept donations uh, just through PayPal is not great in these nine different ways. And maybe you should explore a different way to do that. Um, I like to be kind of holistic in that sense. But we're definitely sometimes met with uh, not consternation, but a little bit of curiosity where it's like, wait a minute, you're designers. Why are you Mm. commenting on this thing that doesn't apply to you? Uh, But so ultimately, I agree. uh, And that's the thing that I still attention I feel where I don't know where that line is sometimes.
2: Yeah, I feel like um, in in larger companies, at least from my experience, I I feel like we almost see the opposite thing, where designers are often like, "Oh, that's not my job. Like, I was hired to do this, not um, not really stretch." And oftentimes, the times and things that they need to stretch into are things that no one no one's explicitly asking. It's just that nobody's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense. But um, it's interesting. We actually, I feel like maybe I'm like giving away an answer here, but when we interview managers at Buzzfeed, or when I did. Um, some, we did like a mock one-on-one where we actually had a designer bring a problem and, and say like, that's not my job to kind of see how a manager candidate would react to someone saying that, like, would they kind of accept that and like, let that be, or would they push against that person and be like, um, you know, take responsibility for the whole situation.
1: It's a challenging thing to get right. Cause like there is, I, I tend to be on the side of like, I kind of want to control everything and like have as much say as possible, but. I have been in situations where that's taken advantage of and I have to say, like, okay, I need to, priori- like, give me priorities. Tell me what to work on because I can't work on everything at the same time. So, like, like, that instinct, I think, is good for a designer, but it also can totally backfire in that, like, you're scattered around a thousand different things and you don't get anything done.
3: It's been my experience that, <clears throat> sorry, that the first person who, who um, raises their hand to solve the problem gets to set the constraints Mm-hmm. Um, and so I always coach people on my team that like <clears throat> getting to the problem and offering to solve problems allows them to set the parameters about um about what the re- what the constraints are going to be. So I haven't really been in a situation where um kind of stepping out of my swim lane was taken advantage of uh mm-hmm. because offering to do the thing allows me the control over how little or how much of it I'm going to do.
1: Yeah, Mm. I I think I think one thing that's different about being being in-house versus like consulting is uh, if you're in-house, you probably know a lot about the business that you're in versus when you're consulting, like um, you try to learn as much as you can, but you don't have as much expertise as if you were to work at a place all the time and know everything about it. So there are times where I feel like I hit up against limitations where I'm like, I want to do everything and know everything, but also like, you know, a lot about your business. This is the part where you tell me what your business goals are. And what you know about your company that I couldn't possibly know in the period of time that I've been working on this.
3: Yeah, that's t- so totally fair.
0: I've also definitely felt kind of paralyzed by that instinct of mine to reach outside of the prompt and ask bigger questions. You know, when someone does come to us and is like, hey, we need this website to look nicer and be easier to read. And I'm like, all right, well, I have all kinds of ideas about other things you could change. <laughs> it would also be better. Uh, so like I, I think I start off by saying that I really like when someone comes to us with like, very clear assumptions as opposed to kind of an open-ended thing where it's like, look, uh, this is the donation platform. We take money through this donation platform. It's not going to change for reasons that you don't have to concern yourself with, but we're stuck with that. And, you know, given, being given that limitation, uh, even if it might not make the end product better, often lets me do what is essentially my job better because I can not get distracted by all the sort of potential Uh, I've definitely been in situations where like a relatively simple project was put on my plate and I like spun out and like it had a mild existential crisis about all the (laughs) things about it that were like surrounding it that I would sure like to be different and better but just can't be uh, and I have to kind of accept that.
1: Do you like those limitations only when you assume they're correct? Like can you deal with those limitations if you're questioning the authority of the person making the creating that? That, those restrictions
0: that's a great question we have definitely had situations where uh we've been like this is the assumption and we think it is very completely wrong but yeah it's what we were hired to do um usually in those situations it's like uh not with an established product uh it's like a new kind of thing it's like kind of a prototype for a new idea and uh, it's going to be like tested with a small group of people it's not going to like hit market you know as it is and the idea is basically like I want to test this assumption. And we may disagree with that assumption. We may think the assumption makes no sense at all and is completely impractical. Um, but our client thinks they're going to learn something by testing that assumption. And so in those situations, I'm oftentimes very, uh, very blunt about the fact that I feel like we can test that assumption. Here are the reasons why we think that assumption is completely wrong. But if you think you're going to learn something from it, then we're happy to be the way that you get to test that. And frankly, those are some of my favorite projects because we get to do things that we ourselves would never do because we think we know better. And I'm also very hesitant of ever thinking I know better than anything because uh, you know, sometimes those projects we just are shown to be wrong. And I I, I like that because it keeps us honest.
1: It makes me feel better about uh, taking on a new project where I like, there's definitely some projects where I won't take them on because it's like super clear that this won't work, but there's some where they're on the fence. You're like, Oh, this is either a new weird idea and could be really interesting or like, this is just crazy, but I'm not really sure where it's at yeah
2: one thing that i'm curious about when it comes to senior designers i'm curious if anyone else here has had experience with like um helping people who aren't at that level try to get to that level and something i guess i struggle with is trying to not make it seem like this like checklist mentality because a lot of times people want clarity and they want like really um, clear definitions on what they're supposed to do but um, i'm curious like how how you guys communicate like what your standards for seniority are to people without making it seem like it's just checking off a box.
3: So I have um, what I call a design values and roles um, document. <clears throat> I developed it at my last company. I'm using it again. I'm going to be using it again in Slack. I haven't rolled it out yet. Um, but it's really more about behaviors than, um, than like explicit check marks. And uh, in that document, it lists like different ways those behaviors could manifest. So that people can kind of get a sense of level setting, um, and I've definitely coached people from um, mid, what I would consider mid to senior. It took like a year. I'm thinking one specific instance uh, where someone was really clear about one of their goals being their one-on-one that they really wanted to level up, and like we were actively, um, working on that, and that involved like making sure that person got into a certain projects and kind of throwing them in the deep end, also talking to people. Um, on other teams and letting them know that this is actively going on and so that they could have a long you know kind of a have a long um extended spoon with that person so they knew that person was like actively learning uh in that role so we have a list of behaviors and I've I've that's tended and characteristics that's tended to work really well just so that people can kind of sense that they're in the ballpark but not like it must be this it must be that um so that's worked really well. Um, I've been working for the last four going on five years now in really early stage companies um and and on, on very brand new teams so I, that my perspective is also probably skewed um <clears throat> because a lot of times we're like figuring out, like no one on my team ever walks in understanding exactly what their role is going to be when they get there. Cause <laughs> yeah. we're just like still figuring it out. So, yeah. um, a lot of very newness and lots of tinkering, uh, to get there. So that's one of the other reasons I'm really, I, I kind of created my kind of, uh, document where it's not so checkboxy and more about kind of characteristics and behaviors. Um, because it's just too hard. We haven't seen enough stuff happen yet.
0: That question doesn't apply so directly to my work environment, again, just because it's a really small company. So we don't usually have like, you know, senior person is mentoring lower people in this certain thing. What we have a lot of is this like kind of cross pollination where it's like, well, this person might be a designer, but maybe they are new to working with React on the front end. And so this engineer will kind of mentor them in how React works. And maybe we have an engineer over here that uh, isn't familiar with thinking about the uh, User experience in a certain way. And so it's a mentorship that happens there. And in those situations, whenever there is a mentorship relationship, the thing that I have found is really important is understanding the motivations of the person you're mentoring. Because um, for a long time, I blindly assumed that the thing that would help somebody get to the next stage uh, in a particular skill set or in their career was what helped me get to the next stage in that skill set or that career. And I'm driven by a very particular set of things that is just not true but drives everybody else. Um, the really the really kind of like the gauntlet for learning this lesson, the crucible for me was I, I taught a couple of courses in design, like typography one and like graphic design one uh, at at a college and uh, you know just really experiencing firsthand like the number of times you have to say a thing and the number of different ways in which you have to express it before a majority of the people in the room will have actually internalized it. Uh, is is a, v- a very good learning experience for me to realize that as a mentor, you have to be extremely receptive to how the person that uh, you are dealing with wants to be taught. Uh, so you mentioned this checklist mentality. Some people really like a checklist and for them, maybe you have to do your best to give them a checklist. Like, well, listen, when you can, you know, approach a problem and, you know, cover all your bases and you can ask these certain questions and you can understand the full context, that's when you'll be a senior level person. And some people, Don't care about the checklist and they really want uh some more abstract expression of it maybe they want a measure of time and i think the communicating with somebody in that relationship always comes down to understanding where they're coming from and and what they're going to benefit best from and how they're going to understand that situation which is so so difficult to do it cannot be overstated from my perspective how difficult it is to put yourself in someone else's shoes to that degree
3: i think it's interesting that you say that because one of the things I, i think your point is really true because I've been hiring for such early stage teams, I tend to have to hire people who have some sameness. Um, just because like your first ten hire they're different than your second ten, different than your third ten, right? Um, and so in these very early teams, there are just certain characteristics that um I have to hire for. So one, I think it was either Andy or Matt. You said you know I I prefer firm parameters and I don't really want to work on projects where the parameters aren't really firm. I could never have someone like that on my team right now maybe uh, two, three years down the line. But like right now, I have to have people who can like really dig through ambiguity um, and really kind of be able to take out, look at a lot of stuff and organize it really quickly and help teams that aren't designers. So um, checkboxes just don't work for us like at this particular stage. And I, and I can't hire for people who would need that type of learning because that's not what I can supply right now. So I definitely agree with you, like different people need different types of learning, just like when you're working on teams that are super young, uh, you just you you hire and think about things a little bit differently as they mature. And
0: I think that's uh, the way you said that is such a great indication that you're probably doing things the right way, because to be able to know that, listen, if you need to learn in a certain way, this is not a context for you to do that is huge and is like could save so much wasted time and headaches, not just for you, but for people you might hire uh, that might come in that situation and might not be well-suited to the context you're in. Uh, most places, I feel like, do not have the self-awareness to be like that. Uh, so that, that's that's kudos on that. All right, let's go to final thoughts. Uh, I will start off to give you all time to think of what your final thought is going to be. And what I will say is that the one of the underlying things for this whole conversation for me that I have found to be very true Throughout my entire life, and uh, it's something I always need to like remind myself is that you know it's so easy to kind of get caught in a habit or get caught in a ritual or get caught in a job that's comfortable and you know and you understand it uh, if it's especially if it's not challenging you intellectually or challenging you uh, in sort of the ways which you want to be challenged. And uh, I always have to like remember that you know in five years. Uh, I will be the person that did this for five years. And that person has a very specific set of experiences and perspective that is shaped so much by how that time is spent. Um, And really just the way you spend your time is so precious and shapes you so much as a person that uh, being, taking time to be like what some people would describe as selfish about that and like finding a team that shares your values and finding a mentor that, uh, you know, can help you do the things you want to do and accomplish the things you want to accomplish. Uh, is so valuable because it's all too easy to, you know, end up regretting a chunk of your career because you weren't chasing the things you wanted to chase and you were just kind of stuck somewhere. Um, so I, I really am a huge fan of self-awareness for that as much as possible.
1: Actually, related to that, I, I was reading when I was reading this article, there's parts of it I can relate to and parts of it where I was kind of like, well... In my company, like senior is such a it's such like a binary thing. Like you're either senior or not. Like what does this mean? But I appreciated the idea of maturity because there's more like uh, being able to go through this list and and more ask the question like how do I stack up on this? Because it's kind of it's kind of like when you're such a small place where it's it's close to flat. Um, it's it's not like you're like moving up the ladder and measuring yourself that way. So it's more just like thinking about like ways in which I am senior and I am not, even though I happen to be like one of the one of the leaders of the company and like i i kind of like the idea of like measuring myself that way and seeing like do i have the maturity to like not try to work in this like cover your ass ass fashion or do i have this maturity to uh lead people in the right way i don't know that the term senior means so many different things to so many different people i don't think it's as valuable as just like trying to measure your like career maturity and trying to get better christy what's your final thought
3: um, I actually too. I want to. I want to piggyback on that. I actually did really love the term maturity too over senior, and I'm actually wondering if it's a better term to use uh I actually am designing our career path. Um, for my put team. put that on the
1: business card, mature designer. I like that
3: <laughs> mature designer. uh <laughs> totally. Uh but I wonder. I guess my other kind of competing thought is like, what does it mean to be an immature designer, and does anyone want that? I don't. Um, how does that boost morale or not I I, I guess it's easy for me to say because I reached a point in my career where um, title really doesn't matter that much anymore Uh, and I really would love for us to just focus on learning and getting great experience and less on titles I wish we could kind of do away with them to some degree Um, but I know they they matter to people so I guess we'll keep on working at trying to get them better
1: can I say, I really like the idea of the immature designer. It's just like a designer who says, no, and like knocks the
0: laptop <laughs> out of your hand when he th- thinks go goes well. <laughs> Sabrina, put a bow on it.
2: Um, yeah, I my uh, takeaway was very similar to Christie's. I think, especially from this discussion, my takeaway is that it's it's like less about the amount of years or the title, more like what you do at that time in a certain job or in a place, um, especially hearing about, you know, like the, the two resumes question, like, would we... Uh, gravitate towards or do we care about that like i think it can be really easy to be seduced by a title like to have like a senior title or even like a vp title at like a really young age but it might actually be better to go somewhere where you don't have that title but you're actually like learning from someone or you're working on something that's gonna help you out in the long run so i feel like it's really important to think about what you're actually doing in that job not just kind of like your title and what how long you're there
0: heck yeah hey good podcast everybody y'all did good a great job. job
2: yeah
0: uh chrissy do you have anything to promote that you want people to know about
3: um no this is the first
0: are you still hiring or can people come work for you or no
3: um not right now
0: all right don't worry for Christy. you missed the window you <laughs> chump you, you had a great opportunity and you let it pass you by
3: you can follow me on twitter at chrissy t maybe do it that's
0: fair that's promotion sabrina is there anything you want to promote
3: um,
2: I guess I can promote myself because uh, I, I recently left BuzzFeed, so I'm on the market for freelance and contract jobs. Um, so yeah, you can find me um, at Sabrina on Twitter or SabrinaMajid.com, which hopefully will be up by the time this podcast goes live.
0: You have <laughs> till Monday. That's a good goal.
1: Okay. <laughs> That's
2: my goal. That's my goal anyway.
0: So. Monday perfect. late night, so I think you can get it done.
2: That's perfect. That was my deadline anyway.
0: <laughs> All right. Everyone should hire Sabrina and give her lots of money and do a great job.
3: <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Thanks. Good talk, (laughs)
0: everybody. Good talk. Uh, All right. We did it. Thanks, as always, to XYZ Type for sponsoring our transcripts. You can check them out at xyztype.com. We have gotten so many nice pieces of feedback about the show through Twitter, via email, on other social networks. And I got to say, people, we love it. Thank you so much for saying the kind words. But, ooh, if you could just put that in an iTunes review, it would mean so much more. We, uh, we're we proud of the show we're making. We'd love for more people to find it. And uh, I know it's lame, but writing that iTunes review really does help. So five stars. Paste your email in there. It really helps us out.